Welcome to the Bellew Podcast. Please note the information in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into account your personal objectives, financial situation or needs. Yes, here we are. Welcome to the podcast as we continue our quest to make sense of the market and keep you updated with our latest thoughts. It's been a busy few weeks, so we should take a little bit of stock. So the Aussie equity market is up 7% in October following a few months of consolidation. And of course, the market's up 37% from its lows in late March for those who are brave to, to dive in at that stage. It's you know, more recently, it's it's been a busy couple of weeks as well. We've had a federal budget. We've had uh, an RBA meeting. There's a US election campaign underway. There is a US reporting season underway. Um, unfortunately, there's COVID uh, breaking out all around the world, except ironically in Victoria. So lots going on as I welcome Chief Investment Officer Malcolm Wood. Welcome, Mal. Hi, Nick. So let's start off with the budget. We spoke about it briefly uh, on our special podcast a couple of weeks ago, but broadly, um, budget initiatives, good for the market and good for the economy. Agree? That's right, Nick. Uh, The budget made announcements of new stimulus measures of more than 4% of GDP. So over the next 21 months, the last nine months of this fiscal year and the next fiscal year, we're seeing incremental stimulus of 5% of GDP, weren't it for the fact that they've done so much already, this would be considered unprecedented. Yeah. So we haven't done any fiscal stimulus really since the GFC in this country. And one of the interesting stats, I reckon, Mal, is that the savings rate, the household savings rate as an indicator of the sort of shape you know Australian households are in. It's at 20% currently. That's increased significantly. So what does 20% mean and how should we view that in the context of history? Yeah, the saving rate, Nick, is defined as saving over disposable income. So what we're doing is spending 80% of our disposable income and saving 20%. That's a 40-year high, that saving rate. For the, the sort of level of wealth that we have uh, at this point in time, that's your house, your super and your bank deposits, um, for that level of wealth, we should be seeing a saving rate less than 5%. Yeah. And what typically happens, um, you know, and it's oh, just over the last few months, it's obviously increased from about or below 5% to to this 20% mark is that, mm-hmm. you know, it moves around. And if we have a prolonged recovery, that that 20% would you know, progressively reduce. And that difference, that difference in income would be fed into the economy progressively over the next few years. That's absolutely right. Uh, We'd expect consumer spending to recover partly due to the tax cuts, partly due to uh, a a vastly improved household balance sheet. And we also think that uh, confidence will drive all of that into spending. Okay, so there's been an RBA meeting as well. Um, Governor Lowe spoke, I think, last week. The headline being um, they're committing to no rate rises for three years. So again, you know, big boost of confidence for Australian households. Yes, that's right. The Reserve Bank's extraordinarily uh, uh, dovish at this point in time. Uh, They're, in fact, toying with the idea of cutting the cash rate, which is already close to zero, uh, 0.25%, to about 0.1%, so a, a modest positive, but also doing something that other major central banks have done, which is quantitative easing, buying long-term government bonds to add liquidity into the system, pushing up asset prices and 
to uh, lower those borrowing costs as well. And a big change in stance with regard to inflation by saying Mm -hmm. that they're going to let inflation now present itself, whereas before, you know, potentially they do anything on monetary policy, whereas for the last 30 years since the late 80s, it's more been you know, preemptive. They've tried to jump on any indicators of rising inflation almost before it happens. You know, that's a big change in, in, uh, in stance and means they're going to let, you know, a positive swing in the economy run a bit further. Oh, absolutely. So uh, moving from preemptive to reactive monetary policy uh, absolutely means that uh, they will allow the economy to run hot for some time. Remember that we're starting off at well below the inflation target. They're saying inflation has to get up into the target. And when it's there for a sustainable period, then we'll, in- we'll start to increase interest rates. That's vastly different to, say, 2009 coming out of the GFC. Yeah, okay. So also in the last couple of weeks, the other um, economic indicator, Mal, of unemployment at um, 6.9% for Australia versus forecast to 7%, so pretty much in line. Um, Intuitively, I I would have thought that that might have increased a little bit given uh, the Victorian lockdown and things. How do you look at employment at the moment? No, I think that's right. I think uh, Australia's uh, employment recovery has been impressive when you consider the the situation in Victoria. So employment's down 2.8% year on year. It's just over 3% below uh, pre-COVID levels. But I think you'll find that uh, outside of Victoria, that looks a lot healthier. Uh, So, yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, and they're talking about retail and hospitality opening uh, down here in Victoria next week um, or at the latest the week after. So hopefully some of that stimulus goes into people's pay packets, they start spending and we see further improvement and sustained improvement in that unemployment rate. I I, uh, don't think we should understate the importance of Victoria reopening. Uh, It it has held us back. Uh, So this is really, uh, really needed. And uh, I think it will be very significant. So that's Australia. As you might say, Mal, it seems like a number of reasons to be constructive on um, the outlook for the Australian economy. Let's have a think about the US. We're in the middle of earnings season. Obviously, over there, they have quarterly earnings seasons. Um, and it's been uh, you know, reasonably positive so far. Oh, yeah. Uh, the US reporting season's got off to another strong start. Uh, we've had about uh, one-seventh, so it's early days, of companies report. Uh, Earnings are coming in, believe it or not, Nick, 21% better than expected. Uh, So um, three months ago, earnings were expected to be down 26% uh, year on year for the third quarter. Now it's become down 19. But if this continues on track, our, our strategists reckon it'll be down 14. So uh, what would be another impressive outcome when you think of where the economies come from? And the results um, of the banking sector in the US are obviously important for the economy, but they're interesting because you know a number of the provisions that they you know really only took for potential bad debt losses last quarter or the quarter before have seemingly now been you know a portion of those have been written back, you know implying a, a much better outlook for uh, for households in the US as well. That's right, Nick. We think it's a very similar process to what we'll see here. 
so initially the banks made these collective provisions, uh, thinking about what may happen uh, on different scenarios for the economy. And uh, what's actually come to pass so far is that those, uh, that, that those uh, blowout and bad debts has not happened. So the amount of provisions they took in their third quarter reports were much lower uh, than was expected. So we had JP Morgan's profits actually up 4% year on year, uh, as were profits at Goldman and Morgan Stanley. So three of the big six saw profits actually rise year on year. And we should get an update on the Australian banks for that uh, from that perspective over the next couple of weeks, uh, I think. Staying with the US, Mal, so the, the, uh, the US housing market is obviously important uh, for that market. I guess the context here is that pre the GFC, the, the, the US housing market ran hot for, you know, many, many years and then fell in a, you know, a big trough post the GFC. And there's been over the last 10 years some recovery, but really we're still just back at average, average sort of levels. And it mm. seems as though there's some real positive signs coming out of the US housing market. So what are the latest numbers there? Yes, yeah, so you're absolutely right, uh, Nick. We're very bullish on US housing. As you, as you point out, 10 years of very, very low activity means that there's now a shortage, a big shortage of houses. Uh, because of these zero rates, you've got record low mortgage rates. Uh, they use a fixed rate mortgage. It's below 3%. Sounds similar to Australia, doesn't it? And uh, the, the other big thing for the US is the work from home or work from anywhere phenomena, uh, which we think is going to mean a major surge in uh, detached housing activity in the US, as it will here as well. Uh, but uh, in our view, they're just back to about trend uh, as you say, uh, could be quite a few years of strong activity still to come. Yeah, so to wrap some numbers around that for people listening, so about one and a half million new, house, new houses per year in the construction sector um, is the long-term average. Over the last 10 years, that's come from uh, about 500,000 per year, but you know, at its peak, it can be, can be well above 2 million uh, per year. So there's still, if you know, things continue to go well and rates stay low, there's still a long way uh, for that sector uh, to go. So actually, just on the, the US housing uh, market, uh, this is um, our analyst, James Casey, just talking about the best way to get exposure to the US housing market through ASX-listed companies. Just in terms of getting exposure to that US housing and the strength that Mel's referred to there, uh, James Hardy's obviously the highest exposure to US housing, 78% of their earnings exposed to the US housing market. Um, Reliance, through its plumbing manufacturing, 46% of its earnings come from the US market, and a lot of that through uh, Home Depot and Lowe's, the, the two major home improvement operators. Reese is next on the list. They're at about 30%, so Australia and New Zealand around 70 and the US uh, since their entry into that market at around 30%. And the final exposure is through Brickworks, which is a relatively modest exposure given they're only recently entered that market, but probably a good time to enter it when things are looking up. Their exposure there is around 6% of earnings. So just to put that in perspective. 
So that was uh, James Casey, our uh, building materials analyst. So um, worthwhile noting too that James Hardy had an upgrade recently on the back of the strength uh, in the US market. And as usual, contact your LNC Bailey advisor for our latest uh, research. Um, hey, Mal, back to you. So uh, you paint a, a positive picture, certainly from the Australian perspective, from uh, the US perspective. Let's talk about COVID for a minute. Um, obviously, we're seeing you know big increases in, in case numbers in Europe and the US and reports that intensive care units are now filling up and field hospitals are being established, all the sort of stuff that we saw in, in March and April seem to be coming back. Um, do you have any concerns that a global recovery could be derailed from COVID again? I think that's a, a risk that we have to be mindful of. Um, what you're referring to is mainly happening in Europe and to some extent in North America. Uh, remember that uh, uh, the US has never really come out of its second wave, so maybe it's in a third wave now. Uh, East Asia our part of the world remains, actually it's exited from a second, a very mild second wave, although I, I guess you Victorians may say it was a bit worse than that. <laughs> uh, but broad, broadly speaking, if you look at it from a global perspective, uh, we're in great shape. So it's uh, really Europe. And uh, as you say, Nick, uh, there's a resistance to going back to the severe lockdowns of March, April. And certainly the mortality rate so far seems a lot, lot better than it was even more recently, uh, perhaps suggestive of improved capacity in the hospitals, although your anecdotal evidence may say that comes under pressure now, uh, but also the improved treatments. And of course, the most famous example of that was President Trump's uh, treatment for COVID recently. So we think there there's there's some signs that would say not enough to derail, but certainly a bit like Victoria's held back Australia's recovery. Uh, there's, uh, I think this second wave could easily hold back Europe's recovery. So six weeks ago, two months ago, there was great excitement about the potential for a vaccine. And it, it has gone a little bit quiet on that front. Uh, one of the leading candidates uh, did have a pause in its proceedings at one point. So what's your latest information on the vaccine progress? Uh, as you say, Nick, the, the number of updates has, uh, has, has gone a bit quiet. Uh, we've got, on our count, 42 drugs in uh, human testing, about 14 of those at the pointy end, which is the phase three human testing, and about eight hoping to give us results this quarter. Uh, just last night, Moderna said that uh, it would hope to have its uh, vaccine authorised by December if the results from its trial, which will be published in the next few weeks, are positive. And a couple of days before that, Pfizer, which is one of the other leading candidates, said it could be ready for emergency use approval by late November so that we'd be looking for the results to be published or announced uh, on that trial uh, by the end of this month. So we think we are getting close to a point where hopefully we have a couple of uh, vaccines uh, that are set to go. Yeah, I remember what CSL said back at the result, and obviously CSL are involved in um, COVID uh, treatments and vaccines in a number of different ways, which we've explored before on this podcast. But 
I was sort of saying just on the statistics or the development of, of drugs normally that it's probably more likely that an effective treatment would be ready before a, a vaccine. So potentially that could add to some optimism if that uh, comes to fruition um, as well. For, for whatever reason, the effective treatments seem to get less coverage in the press than the, uh, than the vaccine does. But uh, anyway... Fingers crossed. Um, so, Mal, sum it up for us. What's uh, you know, adding all of all of those things that we've we've talked about? What's um, our preferred asset allocation at this time? Yes. Yeah, so, well, we've been very bullish on our market and have been increasing our weight to Australia uh, over the past few months, uh, and we continue to see it as likely to outperform. And uh, part of that is the V recovery for Australia. Part of it is what we think will be further uh, stimulus from the Reserve Bank. Part of it is um, what we think will, uh, is reasonable valuations in the context of a good recovery. Uh, when we go internationally, we're about an equal weight in international equities with a preference to Asia emerging markets where China's achieved a, a V recovery. Valuations remain quite reasonable compared to uh, other markets. And we think uh, th those uh, key markets will be a beneficiary of uh, the global recovery. We're a bit more cautious on Europe for the reasons we just talked about with uh, concerns about the second wave there. And the US has priced in a lot of the good news. Uh, so we're just a, a little bit underweight in the US as well. Uh, when you come to um, property and infrastructure, we do think there are some real headwinds for property domestically, commercial property, uh, but we do like some aspects of international infrastructure. So we're about an equal weight there. Fixed income, well, with bond yields at these extremely low levels, we would need a very negative scenario to want to be uh, uh, highly weighted in fixed income. We don't see that scenario, so we're underweight fixed income and uh, just slightly under on cash at this point in time, uh, looking for opportunities to deploy that. So there we go, Mal's preferred asset allocation uh, at this time with an overweight position in Australian equities being the standout feature. Uh, Mal's latest research was published on the 16th of October titled Budget Favours Domestic Cyclical and Growth Stocks. Hey, Mal, thanks for your time. Good to catch up. Thanks, Nick. You have been listening to The Value Podcast. The information in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into account your personal objectives, financial situation or needs. You should not rely on general advice without making your own inquiries or your own assessments about the suitability of the financial products or services mentioned.